the routineness, like any routine, once you know it, once the, the actions are routine for you, it frees up your brain space to focus on other things in the classroom. Um, and that's particularly helpful for English learners, right? If something is routine for elves, then that's less uh, energy they're spending on trying to make sense of what the next set of instructions are, or what's happening. They can jump right into doing the mathematics together. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. How can incorporating routines into remote learning reduce stress and uncertainty for students while also supporting language development and discourse? What are some strategies that provide English learners with opportunities to develop mathematical thinking in remote and hybrid learning environments? How has the unfinished learning caused by the pandemic shifted teachers' mindsets, and what silver linings have surfaced? We discuss these questions and much more in part one of our two-part series with Grace Kalamanek and Amy Lucenta co-founders of Fostering Math Practices and authors of the book, Routines for Reasoning. We brought Grace and Amy back to Highest Aspirations to talk about how things have changed since we last talked in January of 2020, just before the pandemic. You can read their full bios in our show notes and on our ELL community page at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. And remember that Elevation has two L's. Here's part one of a really great conversation with Grace Kalamanek and Amy Lucenta. Grace Kalamanek and Amy Lucenta, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. Well, thank you, Steve. Amy and I are super excited uh, to be back uh, talking with you about supporting English learners in mathematics. Um, we couldn't be happier to be back, even on a kind of snowy day in Boston. Yeah, it's great to join you again, Steve. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's snowing up here at just north of you as well. And it's kind of nice to look outside at the snow. Y'all can't see it. They're listening. Um, but anyway, so yeah, last time we spoke, it was winter as well. I don't remember if it was snowing then, but it was January, 2020. Um, and the world was obviously quite different at that time. We kind of fit you all in right before the world turned upside down in, in education in a lot of other ways. Um, and during that conversation, for those who didn't listen, we focused a lot on thinking routines that can help all students. Um, and particularly in our conversation, we were focusing on English learners, which we'll do today, but all those students succeed in math classes. Um, so for listeners who didn't catch those episodes, and there was a two-part series, we'll link to at the end of this one as well, because it's still very much evergreen now. Give us a brief recap, if you will, of the routines and how they connect with math practices. And Amy, I know that's hard. I know I gave you a difficult task to keep it brief, but whatever you can do to get us started. That, that is a tall order, but um, a kind of quick and dirty overview is that Grace and I we're working with teachers to develop the standards for mathematical practice and to really unpack them and understand them. And out of that work came a worry. And that worry was that only some students were going to have access to those standards for mathematical practices. And that only some students were going to have access to the kind of thinking and reasoning in mathematics that's so powerful. Uh, something else that came out of that work was that the way we were engaging teachers in unpacking those standards was also super helpful for students. In particular, special populations, students with learning disabilities and English language learners. So teachers would engage with us and go off and use those same strategies with their students. And the final thing, and probably the largest one, was that we started to do things in the same way. And 
those in the same way things morphed into instructional routines, which are designed to engage each and every student in mathematical thinking and reasoning in the same way each time. And so we've developed a bank of these instructional routines since then, and each of them focuses on one avenue of mathematical thinking and reasoning, one standard for mathematical practice, if you will. And um, we, we, in our first book, Routines for Reasoning, there are four such routines and highlights for supports for special populations, ways to engage every student in that mathematical thinking and reasoning. And we are, are we can, I don't know if we announced it a year ago, but if we did, it was probably premature, but we are also uh, coming out with our second book, just taking those routines and really working with teachers uh, through those routines to support all students regularly. And I think I'd, I'd jump in if I can, and just also add that um, the routineness, like any routine, once you know it, once it, the actions are routine for you, it frees up your brain space to focus on other things in the classroom. Um, and that's particularly helpful for English learners. Right? If something is routine for L's, then that's less uh, energy they're spending on trying to make sense of what the next set of instructions are, or what's happening. They can jump right into doing the mathematics together. And since those routines are habit forming, mathematical thinking is a habit. So they develop habits of thinking because they're done over and over again. So all kinds of benefits from, for those routines. Yeah, Amy, thanks for giving us the breakdown and, and, and Grace, thanks for adding that. I was actually going to add it myself, but you said it far more eloquently than I would have. Um, I, but I do remember our last conversation talking about sort of reducing cognitive load and making sure that students have the ability, particularly English learners, or that brain space to, uh, to engage in what they need to engage in. Um, you know, routine, I think we talked about this last time. Uh, this is a different kind of, of routine, right? Not just like taking attendance as you come in and making sure all of those things are important as well. Um, and we focus a lot on that. And I'd really encourage people who, you know, want to go back to kind of learn more about that to listen to that podcast episode and to, to read the book. The book, uh, we, I think we got about three or four copies of it and it circulated around, um, around our office. And as somebody who was a, a former language teacher, um, you're not supposed to say not a math person anymore. So I won't say that because I could have been a math person. I think if I, if I had access to the right tools and teachers, but regardless, um, I really enjoyed the book and I thought it was applicable to a lot of other subjects as well as a former high school teacher myself. But now you all are pivoting, going back to our initial, my initial statement, which is the world's very different right now. Um, everyone else are pivoting to do remote work with teachers um, and modeling these routines and everything we discussed to, to, to do that online. So it just makes sense to kind of talk about that now. Let's get that out of the way. H how has the experience been for you um, and for the teachers you're trying to support? And I'm really interested in, in, in the, not that I'm not interested in how the experience has been for you, but I'm really interested to hear how the teachers have reacted, particularly the teachers who are working with English learners in those um, special populations that we've already talked about. Yeah, I, I mean, I think... I think what needs to be said first is uh, our admiration just grows for how dedicated and hardworking teachers are. I don't think we fully appreciated what life is like for them, teaching all day on a screen, many of them, and then jumping onto a screen for professional development or work with us. Like it's just, um, 
it takes our breath away every time it happens. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I just can't say enough about how hard teachers are working. Um, I think a couple of big takeaways for us uh, as we've been working with teachers is one is there's just a, such a wide range of needs uh, in the teachers we're working with. And at any one time, if we're working, um, you know, via Zoom or some other platform to engage them in one of our routines at any one time, teachers can be working on just picking up tech tips, like how to, how to just how to engage kids with technology or learning how to use a certain kind of technology or learning the routine or learning how to engage kids like within the routine with some of the instructional strategies that are in there. So we could be working with 50 teachers or 250 teachers and they all seem to be taking something different away because they're all in very different places. And when we work with teachers over time, those places continually change and evolve. Um, so it really is a, an exercise in kind of building the plane while you're flying it. Um, but I guess the other big takeaway for us is how helpful routines are in all of this uncertainty, both for the teachers and for the students. And really early on, Aim, I think it was, man, it could have been in April, um, talking to a kindergarten teacher who was just starting to work with like her little six-year-old at that point, I guess, on the computer and saying just is, it was really difficult to even get them to speak and engage because this was all new to them. And she said at one point she had them do one of these sort of mini routines that she had been using in her classroom. And as soon as she said, let's do this, they all like jumped up and were very animated and joined right in. And it was just this wonderful, um, wonderful underscoring of how routines are so supportive and stress lowering, even in times where everything seems so new for everyone, students, teachers in particular. Maybe even comforting in that case, Grace. Like an old pair of jeans. Yeah, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Uh, or no pair of sweatpants in the case of the remote learning, in my case. Um, I actually am wearing uh, regular pants today, though, not that anybody really needs to know that. I'm not pulling the old, you know, shirt trick remote learning. I don't know how humor made its way into the Highest Aspirations podcast over the last year or so, but it seems to have been making a lot of appearances. Maybe it's a result of this crazy world we're living in. Or at least what I perceive of as humor. Hi, everyone. I'm Teddy Rice, president and co-founder of Elevation. The Highest Aspirations podcast was created to keep you informed and inspired around the issues that matter most to the students you serve. We'd love the opportunity to talk with you about how we can help strengthen your EL program. Reach out to us anytime at info at elevationeducation.com to set up a time to chat. Now, back to Highest Aspirations. So a couple of takeaways there, Grace, that I think are, are important. You know, one thing you mentioned that I just kept thinking about students when you were saying these teachers have a wide range of needs and they're taking different things away and they're, and they're constantly evolving. So you constantly have to shift. That sounds really familiar with what a teacher needs to do on a daily basis. A teacher specifically that's working with a wide range of learners and English learners who are coming with a wide range of skills in their own little kind of um, group. Um, and how the, and then you went into how those routines um, can help and gave the example of how the students jumped up and there's kind of like, they just have the ability to do that. And again, it goes back to the reducing the, the cognitive load so that they can do things. 
your routines, and if you read the book, you'll see this. I mean, they're they're broader than than most teachers, I think, may be used to when they at least hear the word routine. They include everything, things that we've all, we've all sort of done before, individual think time, partner work, whole class discussion, and math practice reflection. Um, how have they worked in remote and hybrid learning environments? And and I and I asked that question because one of the biggest challenges that that I that I'm hearing, are, particularly with math, uh, is just making sure that that students and particularly English learners have the ability um, to have time to have discussions and work through that academic language that they need to be successful. So, what have you learned about applying them in this strange new context? So you really highlighted the, the greatest challenge we have implementing the routines in a remote world. And that is our routines do have the structure you described and they have a heavy dose of mathematical discourse kind of riddled throughout uh, the routine. And that discourse is super important to develop the mathematical thinking and support students to develop the language to surround that thinking and of course, to support English learners to, uh, to produce their own mathematical thinking and language in tandem. So uh, that's been a challenge for sure. The routines offer actually, um, just like in the classroom, they offer a repeatable way for teachers to work on these challenges. So if I'm implementing a, a routine like the three reads or connecting representations, I'm working on facilitating discourse inside of that routine in the classroom or remotely. One of the um, obvious challenges of, of facilitating discourse remotely is that everyone's separate. And so we've had to get really creative about offering teachers some strategies to, to get kids talking, to get them thinking and to keep them thinking and talking. And, um, when teachers find what works and they can situate it inside of a routine, then they can leverage that regularly and give kids regular opportunities over time. So that's helpful. Um, it's, a, it's a difficult time to change your practice if you weren't doing that already. So that's that's another thing that's been on our mind. There's, there's a difference between teachers applying the routines when they already knew them and teachers trying to learn these routines as they're trying to learn remote teaching as they're trying to juggle all the rest of their work uh, in front of them. And quite honestly, the personal stress of the pandemic in addition to all of that. Um, so that's that's tricky for them. Um, the, the routines work remotely for sure. We have to get creative, like having students um, turn and talk to a partner at home, have a stuffed animal to talk to. Talk to, talk to your wall, talk to the painting on the wall, have an imaginary friend, have a parent sit there and be the turn and talk listener. Um, for older students, you can put them in breakouts. I mean, younger students, you can put them in breakouts for that. So we've gotten creative about facilitating those moves within the routines. Individual think time is probably uh, the most transferable component, mm -hmm. even if teachers are teaching asynchronously, if they're, they're creating a recording, they can pause and provide that individual think time. They can pause and say, try rephrasing this and you know, try saying this in your own words or say it once, say it again in your own words. What we don't know is if that's happening when students are all separate at home. Um, so there are certainly challenges and we've learned a lot along the way. Yeah, and I really appreciate what you said about um 
how, you know, it's certainly easier for teachers who have already been doing these routines pre-COVID to kind of keep them incorporated because they're kind of built in and you just have to find a way to leverage whatever technology you're using to make that happen. And it's worth mentioning that I'm hearing that with everything. I mean, I talk a lot, we talk on the podcast a lot about family engagement. Those districts who are really good at family engagement and we're doing home visits and doing all those things, it's just a natural extension for them to, in fact, they're finding these new and novel ways to connect with families that they didn't have before because they had routines in place. Whereas uh, those districts that maybe weren't doing such a good job at that or they were working on it and it wasn't implemented yet, uh, they're finding it's a bit of a different situation because they now have to connect with families, but they don't have the tools in place or the relationships in place to make those happen. So I think that's kind of a, a, a common piece of it. Um, and I also like the individual think time, you know, at least on paper or, or you don't necessarily know what's going on in a student's head, especially when they're at home. But there's a lot of affordances that that online learning offers for students who can kind of be thinking on their own time in their own way, assuming, again, there's a lot of assumptions that they have the space to do so in the physical environment and the safe area to do it. I mean, there's so many questions here, but um, yeah, certainly, certainly challenges here um, uh, as with anything else. Um, so one of the things, and I'm kind of setting this up based on what we talked about in our last interview, because I feel like there's a lot of connections that we can make. A lot has changed, um, but a lot, I think hopefully the philosophy of what we want to do stays the same. We talked a lot about the idea of rigor um, and productive struggle in our last interview, um, and that being sort of an an integral part of of deep learning. Um, And there's a quote in the book that says, when language is a challenge, a default instructional approach is to show and have the student replicate. This is effective for building skills, but falls short uh, on the goal of conceptual understanding and language production. Um, I would guess that this tendency may have been kind of amplified by remote and hybrid learning environments, that tendency to kind of, um, you know, repeat, state and repeat something. How do you think this has affected learning for students who need to get what you have called this harmony of concept and language, which I love because like the gold standard, like let's bring them both together. Um, how has that affected students during this time? First of all, my right about my assumption and I'd love you for, I'd love it if you kind of take it from there. I, th- I think they, I think I would agree with your assumption, um, at least at the beginning. I, I think in the beginning, we saw a lot of um, information being pushed out to students a lot of students working on their own, a lot of like working on skills, um, in part because I think, honestly, I w- I'm wondering if that just might not have been a function of those are the images we as teachers had about what it looked to learn if, uh, on a computer somehow. Like, and as it became apparent that this kind of hybrid learning or remote learning was going to be here for a while and teachers got more comfortable with it, then we started to see a shift. And I think that shift to more um, conceptual work, more thinking, more discussion, um, kind of grew out of a couple of things. I think one is um, teachers really craving interactions with their students. Mm. Like when you take someone who's used to being in a classroom and being with kids all the time, talking with them, they love teaching, they love kids, that's why they're there. And now you've got this, you know, this literal distance and figurative distance between each other. Teachers just craved the interaction. And so they wanted to make lessons more interactive. Um, And I think that bears out a lot in the work, Amy, um, we've been doing 
in just a lot of the professional development is teachers, a lot of teachers questions around how do I engage kids? How do I get them talking to each other and me? Like that's, there's just a hunger for that. And I think the other thing, the second thing is um, teachers are well aware of sort of the unfinished learning. You know, the school year started and teachers were concerned about how kids were coming into them from the previous year. And um, teaching in the ways they're doing, I think even more teachers feel like they don't have enough time and that's forced many of them to shift to, okay, let's focus on these big ideas. Let's focus on these big, important concepts. We're not gonna get to everything. So I think there's been a shift to focus on bigger math ideas and concepts and give yourself a little permission to let go of some of that other stuff. Or that other stuff can be practice at home, but not when you're face-to-face with me. Um, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think that that's like a really good, I'm not going to analyze that too much what you said, because I think it's a really good transition into my next um, question, which is around the fact that at least anecdotally in my conversations with teachers, you know, they've reported huge difficulties in creating opportunities for academic and informal speaking in remote and hybrid learning environments, especially for English learners. Um, and so I'm, I, you know, I have seen, or I have not, I've seen, but I've heard that, teachers are basically saying, I don't, I don't know how to do this, which, which Grace, you kind of just mentioned that, that like hunger for teachers to have interactions, but how do we go about doing it? So what strategies have you seen that might be promising to help provide all students and particularly English learners um, opportunities to produce language in these remote and hybrid learning environments? So um, students do have the opportunities, like we were talking about before, they have some opportunities and we, we have to make sure, ensure they enact them and are able to take advantage of them. But there are some, dare I say, my daughter would say this is pretty cringy, but hashtag COVID silver linings. And one of them is that students often have, <laughs> often have a visual in front of them while they're learning now. And that's not, that wasn't always the case. So when we think about L's in particular, there's a lot of language in front of them on the screen that they're looking at, that they're hearing. So in some cases, it's more multimodal than in the classroom where the teacher could just be in front of them. And maybe the teacher would be using gestures more than on the screen. But uh, oftentimes on the screen, they get a lot more receptively. Um, they get a lot more access to language in a receptive mode. They also, um, there's a lot of annotation support in our routines particularly, but we're seeing it even outside of the routines that uh, teachers are annotating their screen or students are annotating as they share. And so that is again, creating another modality to support English learners. When we work with teachers, we've been getting very quickly lately down to the strategy level, the strategies that are baked into our routines. And one of our, not that we have a favorite strategy, but one of our favorites, actually we'd probably say this about all five of our essential strategies, but uh, is the four R's. And not just because we're from Boston and we don't even say the R's, <laughs> but also because they hold so much power for so many learners. Uh, the four R's are repeat, rephrase, reword, and record and repeat to make sure everyone heard the idea, 
rephrase so students have the opportunity to say it in their own words and the teacher gets the opportunity to check for understanding and other students listen to the rephrase and hear the idea in the language a second time. Reword, add some precision to the language. Um, repeating and rephrasing, we urge teachers to have the students doing the repeating and the rephrasing. The, re the rewording, I would say is probably 50-50. Sometimes teachers provide an academic word kind of just in time to reword an idea, add precision, or they ask students to reword the idea and add precision. And then record, provide some residue of the language so that students are seeing the language and it's another way for them to access it and bring it into their memory. And they can use it again later. So those four R's are really powerful. And when we get to that strategy level with teachers remotely, they are um, quick to uptake those ideas and put them into action. So it, there are definitely ways to engage students in producing this language and giving them opportunities, remote, hybrid, regardless, to repeat, rephrase. It's just how they do it might be different. They might mute themselves and everyone rephrase it. And again, we get back to, we don't know who's doing that and who's not. We, whether students are all on video, if they're all on video, you can see their lips moving. Um, if they're not, then we don't know, but we're at least asking them to. And maybe they're just doing it in their head and they're not actually speaking it, but they're stopping and working out the idea in their head. Or maybe they're rephrasing exactly how uh, we intend them to. Um, it could be that we can put them in a chat. It could be that they can private chat each other. It could be that they're rephrasing and saying it verbally, but typing it to a partner. So it happens differently, but there are definitely opportunities for that. That's where we'll leave off in this two-part series with Grace Kalamanik and Amy Lucenta. Be sure to come back for part two to hear how routines can help address unfinished learning what a language-rich classroom can look like in a remote environment, and much more. Until then, stay safe and take care of each other. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. 